today on the Bill Kelly Show on AM 900 CHML. Uh, we're touching them all today, aren't we? Uh, police services and uh, their interaction with the community about whether or not there should only be one school system. Now let's talk about assisted dying and the impact that it's having on the medical community. The debate over whether Ontario doctors have the right to refuse services that clash with their moral or religious beliefs is uh, heading to court. Now the group is challenging the policy that requires doctors that have a moral objection to treatment sought by a patient to refer them to another professional. This was all part of the uh, legislation that came in about assisted dying. Uh, it's also a variation, I guess, on the theme that was in play during the day, debate about abortion and, well, other issues where medical ethics and morals seem to clash. So where do they stand on this? What are the legal rights, the moral rights, and where are we going on this? Feroz Gigi Boy is a personal injury lawyer here in town at PJKJ Law Professional Corporation in downtown Hamilton, and he joins us here in studio. Thanks for coming in. It's great to have you here today. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be here. Well, this is this is an interesting discussion, an interesting debate, and, and you know, I, I saw this coming, and I'm sure you did as well, when, uh, when the federal government was drafting legislation and the debate was going on, and they came in with this particular clause in the legislation that said, well, okay, we'll give you an opt-out clause, doctors, if you, you can't get your head around doing this, but you've got to make a referral, and, and it's not sitting well with people. How do you find that balance? Well, I think anytime you're trying to balance rights in a society, it's, it's tough. And, you know, we're not talking about uh, objections that doctors are putting forward to doing things that are sort of outside what we would respect from other people in society. So it's just that they have a particular views, uh, for example, on assisted death, the uh, right, you know, the right to life, all these sorts of things that um, may bring them into conflict with the opinions and beliefs of their patients. And that's what this is about. I think it's more of a balancing of the of competing rights within a doctor patient relationship. And that's tough. And, and add on to that, of course, what people will perceive to be their their obligations to the Hippocratic Oath that said, hey, you're supposed to be looking after my well-being. You know, I, I don't much care whether or not you're having problems with this in your head. I want to get well or, or whatever it might, or I want to, I want an assisted death. I mean, there could be a number of different things that, that, that are actually going to fall under this umbrella. Oh, yeah. And you know, it's interesting that you bring that up because um, I think particularly in Canadian society, um, well, let me take a step back. When you look at the Hippocratic Oath and the big thing we always harp upon is, you know, first do no harm. And, and that concept of a doctor, whatever they do, they shouldn't harm their patient, I think, is reflected in, 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 in the way they practice and it's supposed to be reflected in this policy, right? Mm -hmm. But then the second point of that, the expectation that the doctor is there to do what I need them to do, I, I, I think it, it, it's sort of almost born of our healthcare system because, um, you know, at, at its core, a doctor is a professional, independent contractor. The law recognizes them as an independent contractor. And if you go back in time, that's what they did. They ran their, their businesses as, as doctors. Now we have a centrally managed kind of healthcare system where they're part of a large group that delivers healthcare to a community. And we have expectations that it's going to run a particular way. And I think that's part of the challenge here is that, um, you know, the, the doctors aren't saying, um, and, and, you know, the doctors aren't saying, I'm going to do harm by my beliefs. They're saying, look, I want my independence for my beliefs. I, um, like, I sue doctors for a living, right? That's what I do. I, I represent plaintiffs against physicians. So I'm not taking the side of physicians in, in the sense of I'm going to defend them. But when I went through the policy, 
I thought, you know, the challenge with this policy that I can see from the doctor's perspective is not that the, the policy says, look, you've got to respect the dignity of the patient. You've got to respect the fiduciary obligation to your patient. It's, it goes on to interpret that and says, you, doctor, will act in this way in dealing with the patient. So it leaves that discretion. Um, uh, 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 it takes that discretion away from the physician. And I think that's really the, the so, crux. So the doctors are, are, I guess their argument from, from the way you're describing it, though, for us is they, they're simply saying, wait a second, you're not giving me any latitude at all. You're telling me how to do this. Uh, that's the way I interpret it. Yeah. And, and you know, I, uh, and to be clear, like I'm not representing anybody in. No, in I get this, that. Yeah, yeah you, you don't have any skin in the game. Exactly. Here. Yeah. But I, I see it, I see a lot of this, this conflict of the institutional setting and the provision of health care where, where health care in, in, at its core is, is a very personal thing. I mean, this is somebody other than your spouse who's going to see you naked, right? And, and that creates a very personal relationship with that person. So, but then you put that in a larger institutional context, and, and how do you manage a very personal dynamic in an institutional kind of way? And, and, that's, and I think policies can go overboard where they don't allow a freedom for the dynamic to sort of evolve in a particular way. And, and what I see in this policy was when I was reading through it. The first part, I could, I, you know, respect the dignity of the patient, ensure access to care, protects the patient's safety. Like, nobody's arguing with this, right? The physicians must communicate. Except that one phrase that you mentioned, access to care. If, if for instance, the request is, and the discussion between the patient and the doctor is, uh, I, I want to talk about an assisted death, uh, then all of a sudden that patient is, is asking for, and maybe in some cases demanding, access to that kind of care. Uh, there's the ethical dilemma for the doctor. What if the doctor doesn't believe in that? Yeah, and, and that is the crux of it. You actually hit the nail on the head. So the doctor, um, yeah, yeah, so, the, you know, I'm trying to figure out, I'm trying to take a step back a little bit. You know, if the doctor has a 30-year relationship with a patient where they've treated them, dealt with their, their psychological issues, knows their kids, and now they, that person is before them saying, I want to die, and the doctor has a, a, a moral objection to it. I want a, a medically assisted death, sorry. Um, that may be a different conversation than a doctor who uh, the patient comes in for the first time and says, my grandma uh, you know, is in hospital, I want you to come see them, um, and I want you to um, counsel them on medically assisted death. So the dynamic may be different. Um, this is not an emergent situation. So it's not a situation where um, somebody's been denied access be, um, because of the waiting list we have, for example, or anything like that, right? This is, this is a dynamic. Uh, that's the way I perceive it. So when you, when you look at ensuring access to care, a doctor, um, the, the policy is saying, look, doctor, you have this moral obliga- uh, objection to this procedure, but we're going to require you to counsel on it. And, and that's the part that kind of makes me kind of pause and think, well, maybe the doctors have a point. Because if you're morally opposed for whatever reason to this particular procedure, first of all, how can you provide unbiased counseling anyway? So it's mm-hmm. kind of a catch-22. But then once you're counseling on it, you're now part of the process. And isn't that so objection? So in other words, you're, part of, you're you already involved. You are de facto involved in the assisted death. Yeah. Because you're saying, go see Dr. X. That's kind of like I can and, I can and, get and, and they'll do it for you and that's kind of what I, I'm getting from the what I read in the press report and when I went back and I looked at the policy, you know, up to a point in the policy where it recognizes you know the obligations under the Human Rights Code and discrimination, nobody's objecting to that. But then I think the policy takes that next step and says this is how you should respect the law, 
And I think it's that piece that is problematic because I think any law that restricts human interaction is going to create problems because we cannot possibly envision all of the different dynamics in a human interaction, right? So the, the, the law, the policy has to be broad enough to allow flexibility in the, in the dynamic. But at the same time, you're trying to provide structure to society. So yeah, it's got to have some parameters to it. There was a similar yet different, <laughs> I'm now I'm sounding like the lawyer, uh, situation with the, the Civil Marriage Act uh, back in 2006, of course, by the federal government, uh, where a number of people that might have had ethical and religious concerns about the law was saying, well, you can't force us to do that. And and the way they sawed that off was essentially, well, we're not forcing your religion to do this. This is a civil law. This is civil law that we're dealing with here. Uh, and if you don't want to get married in a civil situation, you want to get married in a religious situation, knock yourself out. But it's, it's, it's not that cut and dried when you get into a medical and ethical situations because, uh, in other words, if, if I were of a religious faith that said, well, no, we're not, you know, we're, we're not going to allow a civil marriage, I knew I had a plan B. I could go to City Hall or I could find somebody else, uh, you know, a justice of the peace or somebody who would perform the ceremony. But if I'm saying, and you, as my doctors say, no, I'm not going to help you, I'm, first I won't do it, and B, I'm not going to help you to do this, I don't know where to go. So I don't have those options. I mean, there, I know there is, uh, the, the government's now talking about setting up a registry, but, the, but now you're getting into that broad concern that most people have is, I don't know these people. I don't know who to call. I don't know them. They don't know me. And, and they probably feel very abandoned when their doctor gives them that kind of an answer. Oh, yeah, I have no doubt. And, you know, we have such access to care issues in, in this province, right? So um, one of the things, the challenges we get into when, when somebody comes into my office and uh, they want to sue their doctor, well, it's their doctor. It could be, if it's their GP, they're going to lose their GP. Well, who's going to look after them? And there's always that tension. So, again, if the doctor says, look, I can't treat you on this issue, where do they, where do they go? And, and quite frankly, I don't know what the answer is right now. Um, I mean, in a, in a situation where somebody says, I want an assisted death, and, and you, as the doctor, uh, says, no, I can't do that, uh, you can go and call this agency. And you figure, well, that's going to take three months, five months. And that's kind of defeating the purpose, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, and they're, they're, they're going to feel once again abandoned. Yeah. And the first part of the policy actually, uh, I think, is done with uh, sensitivity to both sides. And it, and it really says, look, you have to have a physician. You have to have a conversation with your, your patient so they don't feel stigmatized basically. And they're not, um, uh, and you're not going to try to convert them to your way of thinking. So that, that part of it, I, I can't see anybody has any objection to that because you do have to, um, you know, treat people with respect and dignity. Uh, it's that second part that, okay, now in our system, we have access issues. Uh, does that fall to the doctor to fix? Um, a lot of the problems that I see in the healthcare system is that the policies, what the LINs put in place or the government or whomever put into place, they really rely upon the doctors to kind of fill all the cracks that are there. And it's because doctors and nurses and other healthcare professionals get into their profession because they care about people that our system really runs because they do try. Right. But now you're getting down to a group of people that say, yeah, you know, yes, we're, we're willing to, to treat people with dignity and respect. But you know what? I really don't agree with this decision of the Supreme Court of Canada. I really don't agree with the fact that people should be, uh, uh, you know, it, sh it should be OK in a society for doctors to kill people, you know, to, to, to put a spin on it. Right. Um, and, and the answer is for government. I mean, they have this system. I don't think they should foist it on the doctors. Let me ask you another ethical question. I'm bombarding you with these today. I appreciate you coming in for us. Uh, is it fair 
for me as a as a citizen, as a patient of a doctor, to expect that my doctor is going to be the portal into the medical system for me? Is is it, did, did they sign up for that when they when they got into business when they became doctors? That's an interesting question. Okay, so the, yeah. in other words, if you can't do it, you better put me in touch with somebody who can. As a matter of fact, you better set up the appointment for me too. Yeah, and and maybe that's the way the policy should work. But the policy, the way it reads, it, it says the physician, and it's actually interesting. I noticed a conflict between the policy drafted by the college and their frequently asked questions document, because in their policy, it actually expressly states the physician has to sit with you and explain to you your option, even though the physician is morally opposed to it. Whereas the question, in, uh, sorry, was it? No, I'm sorry. It was actually in the press report. They said, no, the physician doesn't have to personally meet. They can delegate it to a, a, um, a staff member. But that's not what the policy says. The policy says you have to respect the dignity of the patient and sit with them. Explain all of the options, including the ones you're morally opposed to. And that's it's it's that part of it that's the problem. So yes. So you feel that's an undue burden on the doctor then. Um, In other words, they have to not defend, but at least explain a policy or 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 a mode of treatment that they may not even uh, think is right or adhere to. But the, by law, they have to say this. I think. I think the physician should be allowed the latitude to decide how to deal with that patient. And it shouldn't be prescribed. And it may be with some patients, like the one they had for 30 years, that they're going to sit and say, you know, look at Feroz, uh, you're dying, you're uncomfortable, I get it, but I'm not, I'm not going to agree to be a part of this process. And, you know, they may facilitate some conversation with somebody else, they may not, but that may be a different conversation than if I come off the street and say, look, at, I've got a terminal disease, I want you to counsel me on, on assisted death. Because I, I, the doctors are the ones that are concerned about this, and, and there's a number of them, and this is the court action. We need to understand uh, exactly where they're coming from here. What, as you read this and see the concerns of the doctors, what are they trying to do here? Do they want to be exempted from this altogether? They, they, they can just take a, a pass card on this and, and not get involved in this at all? Because clearly, from the way you've explained this, and, and I had a brief look at the legislation as well this morning, uh, the the government bill, as it stands right now, is basically forcing doctors to be part of the protest, whether they agree with it or not. Yeah. It's the policy of the college that is requiring them to sit and counsel on referrals. So I don't know that it's the government legislation. I'm not, I'm not sure. It could be. Um, the uh, What I got from the press report uh, that was that the doctors were opposed to that referral requirement, that they have to sit and counsel on referrals. When I went and looked at the policy document, I realized, actually, I think, looking at it through the lens of the doctors, that there's actually another problem. They have to sit and counsel on those alternatives, too, the fact that they're in existence. And I can really see this. If I'm morally opposed, if I have a particular um, strongly held and legitimate belief, to sit there and tell you that it's an alternative just goes against everything in my in my moral being. Because, be because it gets into the moral dilemma. And I mm -hmm. know that we're... But, you know, it's it's the same, I think, conundrum that people found themselves in, in you know, when it came to uh, to the abortion debate. Uh, you know, do you counsel somebody that there is a right-to-life group that will help you through the pregnancy uh, and you must keep the baby? Uh, or if you believe in, in, in a woman's right to choose, 
that that choice has to be theirs. Uh, it, do you counsel them on that if you don't believe in it? And conversely, do groups like that say, of course, another alternative is to simply get an abortion on this? Uh, they, they're going to be very uncomfortable and most often, I would think, uh, not wanting to, to even talk about that because they don't want to give the patient that option. Is that what's happening here? I think that's the way I'm reading it, and, and I get it. And, and I'm, where I'm sensitive to it is I think whatever, whatever the policy is, it's got to allow human beings a dynamic. And I think where we get into trouble is when bureaucrats, um, whether within the college or within the government, prescribe behavior. And I think that's – because that, that – that, I'm a true believer in the individual. I represent individuals. I think society is stronger because of individuality. And the fact we don't get along and agree is, is a huge part of our strengths, right? Um, what I, where I, what I, I bristle at is when um, a body – Anybody tells me this is thou shalt do things this way because if it takes away my ability to have a dynamic with somebody, then it's restrictive, and I don't think it can survive. I mean, any law that is based upon bad, bad behavior. And when I read this this policy, it's really based on the assumption that it's protecting the public from harm the doctor is going to commit through their personally held beliefs. So they've gone to the worst case scenario and drafted a policy that seems to control that. And to me, that's not most human dynamics, despite what reality TV tells us, right? I think most human dynamics tends to be respectful and caring, particularly in Canada, right? (laughs) But this sounds, again, like politicians who may or may not have uh, knowledge, or if they do, maybe just cursory knowledge, uh, of the medical profession and and the ethics involved in this. And and it's not unlike some of the discussions we've had, uh, for instance, to do with insurance companies. You're a personal injury lawyer. Uh, by by profession, and and you could give us a much different perspective on insurance companies than somebody in government who's saying, well, you know, you have to have insurance, and they'll look after you if something happens. <clears throat> and you're wanting to put your hand up. No, 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 never mind. No, I, bite your tongue, bite your tongue. You know, uh, and and that's their perception because the last person they talk to is probably somebody in the insurance industry that says, yeah, these these people are great, and they got your back no matter what happens. You have a different perspective on that because of what you do for a living. Did the government go to the to the point? Of, of, of talking to the medical profession and understanding that this was going to be an ethical and de- uh, dilemma for them as, as this rolls out. I, I'm not so sure that they did. I, I think what they've done... Sorry, pardon me. Go ahead. Yeah, I think what they've done is, is gone to uh, envisioned a worst-case scenario, my religious beliefs causing harm to my patient, and drafted a policy to prevent that. And, and, and that... I think is the mistake, if, if the court so finds anyways. I think that's where the problem is. And I actually am insensitive to that because I think there's a, actually a lot of policies within our healthcare, our health management system that impede my ability to represent individuals when they have been harmed by the medical system. It's the way they manage doctors. It's the, what they're allowed to say. It's, it's whether they're able to enter into settlement agreements. All these things are really tightly controlled, and, and it makes uh, bringing actions against the physicians a lot harder than an, a normal individual because they have uh, a master on the other side that's sort of cracking a, a bit of a whip over them. And uh, I, I wish the government would back off a little bit. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm not, a, obviously I'm not opposed to everybody having access to healthcare, and that's a great thing. What I think they need to do is allow doctors to be professionals because it actually facilitates a lot in society. We're I've got about a minute left here. We're in early stages of this because the legislation is still relatively new and it's it's going through variations on, on the legal system right now. 
But do you foresee legal challenges uh, like this uh, to a greater extent now, sometimes from doctors or maybe even from patients against doctors uh, because there is a clash in, in ideologies about what can happen next and what they should be allowed to do? Well, I guess theoretically a doctor could be uh, held accountable to you know an administrative tribunal or to the law. So, yeah. I mean... I, yeah, it, there's a lot. Whenever you're dealing with the balancing of rights, there's a lot of potential there. Uh, we haven't really seen it, though. Like, I'm not really aware of a lot of, of actions yes. against doctors. And yet, and, and maybe that's because most doctors actually practice in an ethical way, um, perhaps, right? Well, we'll on that positive note, we got to finish it off right now. And, and God forbid we should get as litigious as some of our neighbors to the south when it comes to these things. Great having you on. Thanks so, so I, much for coming in today. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much. Furious Gigi Boy, of course, a uh, lawyer with uh, PJKJ Law Professionals uh, Corporation in downtown Hamilton. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on AM 900 CHML.